Hey, Melissa. Remember how a couple of weeks ago I was telling you a story about Aggies and you were saying how much you loved that story and you'd like to hear more stories like that? Um, that didn't happen. Oh, no, no. I'm pretty sure if we checked the record, I'm pretty sure we'd find you saying, yay, stories about Aggies. So, since I aim to please and since I live to serve, I've got another one for you. So, there was... Wait, um, I'm sorry. Do you want me to do no, a podcast but, with you? <laughs> it's it's very rude for you to interrupt me in the middle of a riveting story. So there's this burning building. And wait, wait. You remember about Aggies? Should I refresh your memory about what Aggies are? No, I know what an Aggie okay. is. Great. Great. So there's this burning building. And there's this mom in the upper story of the building. And she's holding a little baby. And the baby's crying and the, and the mom is um, freaking out, and the fire trucks are there, but their ladders aren't tall enough. They can't reach her. And then, and then all of a sudden, this Aggie walks by. And it's not just any Aggie, but he is like the a football hero. And he sees her and he says, Lady, drop your baby to me. She says, Nuh-uh. And he says, No, seriously. I am first-team All-American wide receiver for Texas A&M. I've got the best, softest hands in football. If you drop that baby, I will catch your baby. And she says, I can't do it. I can't do it. And he says, lady, seriously, the fire is getting higher. You've got to do this now. And she does. She drops the baby. And sure enough, the young Aggie gets underneath it. And he just, he, he watches it with his eyes all the way down into his arms, catches the baby, cradles it to his chest, and everybody standing around the building just erupts in cheers. And he looks around and he hears the sound, and it's just the same sound as when he scores a touchdown no. catch. And no. he points at the crowd and he spikes the baby on its head. I'm not going to do this anymore. We keep doing jokes. Good morning. Welcome to Velocity LSAT. LSAT Kung Fu. My name is Dave Hall. That sigh you heard is from Melissa Miller. Melissa's here. We are ready to continue our sober and serious analysis of questions in the logical reasoning section. We're still in prep test 29, and we are in section 4, and we'll begin today with questions 15, 16, and 17. And I guess we'll probably end yeah. after doing those three. Um, how are you doing, Melissa? I'm doing well, thank you. Okay. All right, so we'll start with question 15. Um, do you recognize that question? Well, having read it once and then looking back at it, I do recognize it yeah. from the first read. <laughs> do you want to know what type of question it yeah. is? Yeah. I'm it's not a... completely certain that we've actually seen this yet. I don't. Probably we, we pro if we've seen it, we've probably seen one type okay. of it. I've called this a role question. No. So the yeah, so it says the claim that, and then it repeats the claim, right? It quotes, it doesn't put quotes around it, but, you know, it's directly quoting a claim from the argument. Mm -hmm. uh, the claim that, in this case, ambiguity inspires interpretation figures in the argument in which are the following ways. So that another way that that's commonly asked is um, which of the following best describes the role played by the claim. Okay. All right, so I, and since that's more common, I call it a role question. Right? Mm -hmm. What's the role that this statement plays? So, uh, how common are these? One a section, maybe two in a section, but probably not. Okay. All right. 
You ready to read it and then we'll talk about it? Mm -hmm. Let's do that. Okay, so having read this passage, um, what is the main conclusion of the argument? Uh, things that are ambiguous are open to interpretation. Right. In other words, the first sentence of the passage. Mm -hmm. Ambiguity inspires interpretation. Why does this author believe that? There's a saying. Yeah. We are the measure of all things. And then it says that there have been different interpretations of that saying. Yeah. That saying is an example. Mm -hmm. So she believes that ambiguity inspires interpretation. She believes this because of things like this example of this saying, we are the measure of all things. Mm -hmm. Right. Then what was the statement that they asked us about the question? Uh, ambiguity inspires interpretation. Okay. And what was the role of that statement then? The role of the statement? I'm sorry. Yeah. What I was going to say was that it's setting us up for the rest in the most. That's not a good answer. <laughs> yeah. So you can think about the role of statements as really essentially being almost just two things. Um, it's evidence or it's a conclusion. And if it were really totally that simple, you know, we'd get even fewer of these role questions than we do. There are a few other roles that a statement could play. Um, for example, you can have an argument that says, some people say that peanut butter tastes delicious, but those people have clearly never tried Velveeta, so peanut butter is actually not very good. And in that statement, you have a conclusion, peanut butter is not very good. You have evidence. The people have never tried Velveeta. Notice that that evidence has like nothing to do with peanut butter, but that's very typical for an LSAT argument. So um, the conclusion and evidence. And in that statement, you also have a third party conclusion, you know, the claim that the argument as a whole is structured to refute. You know, some people claim that peanut butter tastes good. And the whole argument is structured to refute that claim. And you can layer other pieces in. So that's, you know, so there's an example of an argument that had three different roles, right? Evidence, conclusion, and the conclusion of the other party. Or you could have an argument that says, um, Misty is a very uh, athletic person, so she's sure to make a great basketball player. Thus, I conclude she'll get a scholarship. To school. The main conclusion of that argument is that she's going to get a scholarship, and the evidence is that she's an athletic person, and that because of her athleticism, she's going to be good at basketball. Well, that basketball part is evidence, part of the reason that we believe that she's going to get a scholarship. Mm -hmm. That's the main conclusion. But that basketball part is also itself a conclusion. We conclude that she'll be good on, at basketball because she's athletic. And so there's an example of a different role, you know, that's that middle role, the one about basketball is what we'd call a subsidiary conclusion. So in that argument, we have evidence and then a conclusion and then the main conclusion is based on both of them. All right. But here in question 15, we really just have two roles. We have the role of the first sentence, as you said, the main conclusion, and then the role of everything else, which were the reasons we believed that main conclusion. Is that clear? Mm -hmm. Make sense? Yeah. So when we're asked about the role, that's really what you're thinking about. Is this the conclusion or is this evidence? And if it's not either of those things, you know, what is it like a subsidiary conclusion? Is it somebody else's conclusion? Is it maybe a fact that everybody agrees to before we start mounting our evidence? 
You know, there are other possible roles, but mainly think of it in those terms. Is this the conclusion or is this evidence? Here, it's the conclusion. So as we go into answer choices, A, or actually, would you take me through answer choices? Sure, A, it is used to support the argument's conclusion. And We're saying that is conclusion. Right, oh, no. okay. right. And there is a sentence, there is material in there that is used to support the argument's conclusion. But that's not the material that we were asked about. Mm -hmm. All right, B. It is an illustration of the claim that we are the measure of all things. Well, again, if we're talking about that first bit, no. Right, and you know, and one thing that this is pointing to is the importance of actually answering the question you've been asked. Mm -hmm. All right, see. Um, it is compatible with either accepting or rejecting the argument's conclusion. Well, it is the argument's conclusion again. Right. So, no. Yeah, and, you know, they have to provide us with five answer choices. So four of them are going to be wrong. And some of them, like A here, do describe roles played by sentences in the argument. And some of them, like B, are just like sort of word salad. And then some of them, like C, don't have anything to do with the argument that we're talking about. All right, and the D? It is a view that other statements in the argument are intended to support. And there is a perfect description of your main conclusion. The conclusion of the argument is the view that other sentences are intended to support. And just to be complete, you want to rule out E? Puts out a difficulty the argument is intended to solve. That might make sense. I can imagine, I mean, somewhere not here, it didn't happen here, but I can imagine an argument where you start out by saying ambiguity inspires interpretation. This is a difficulty. So what we need to do is, right? Mm -hmm. We just didn't do that at all. And so the fact that we can imagine some universe in which this answer might be correct has nothing to do with whether or not it's correct in this universe, the one we live in. Cool? Mm -hmm. All right, then uh, that's 15. All right, so should we move on to 16? Yes. All right, so let's take a minute and read the... Uh, actually, we'll start with the question first before we even read the passage. I'm pretty sure we've seen this. Actually, I'm certain we've seen this question. I think it might have been the very first question we ever looked at together. Hmm. I'm, not, I'm not completely I'm sure, sure about we, that. Yes. Thing. I don't remember the name of it. I feel like it's... I called it the point of disagreement question. Mm -hmm. And my idea there is that sometimes it's asked like this. Franklin Samika's statements provide the most support for holding that they disagree about the truth of which of the following that they disagree about. Sometimes it'll ask, uh, what is the um, point at issue between Franklin and Tamika? So when you get those two kind of phrasings, the point at issue or what they disagree about, I think I capture it pretty well by calling it point of disagreement. So in either case, the question is asking us for something that we know completely that we can demonstrate that Franklin says, yeah, and Tamika says, nuh-uh. So there won't be any room for, like, questions. It's not like maybe they disagree about this. It's going to be for sure. Make sense? Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, so we'll take a minute and read Franklin and Tamika. Okay. Okay, so Franklin, what's Franklin's argument? What's his conclusion? He doesn't like that... Or I don't know if he doesn't like it. He's pointing out that there's inconsistencies in the pay um, for sports celebrities versus Nobel laureates. Uh -huh. They both have rare talent, and they work hard. Yeah. They pay them the same. And what does Tamika say? 
Well, she's bothered by the fact that he hasn't considered that sports celebrities earn tons of money for their employers in a variety of ways. Okay. And uh, Nobel laureates don't mm -hmm. earn tons of money for their employers. All right. So what would you say they disagree about? Well. Let's take a structural look at it. Imagine that Franklin says peanut butter is delicious. After all, it's made out of peanuts and it's brown, and you can spread it on toast, or celery, or carrots, mm -hmm. or Anything tuna you want to fish. Spread it on. Okay. And Tomika says, whoa, 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 Franklin, you have not considered that peanut butter is mushy and like has the same texture as poi and tastes like salt and fat have the same texture as poi? I don't know. They both are pastes. In that argument, you know, Franklin says peanut butter is delicious and, and Tamika says, nah, -uh. what do they disagree about? I'm sorry, I'm still thinking about poi because I don't know what poi is, I guess. I thought poi was fish in like sushi type form. Poi is that purple um, paste that you only get at Hawaiian luau's. It's made out of taro. And I'm glad we've settled that. Okay. But back to, so Franklin says peanut butter is delicious. Tamika says, nah, what do they disagree about? That it's not delicious. Whether or not peanut butter is delicious. Yeah. In other words, Franklin's conclusion. So here, Franklin says it's inconsistent to pay sports stars more than Nobel laureates. And Tamika says, nah, -uh. what do they disagree about? How much do you pay? Pay them that they shouldn't get paid that much. Whether Franklin's conclusion is right, whether it is inconsistent to pay. Kind of, but it it matters. The difference matters because because Franklin and I think you might have even pointed this out. Franklin doesn't tell us how much we should pay them. He just says it's inconsistent to pay them so differently. And Tamika says, no, you've left out some information. So the question isn't about what we should pay them, how much we should pay them. It's about whether or not it is consistent or inconsistent to pay them so differently. Mm -hmm. See the difference? I do see the difference. And I, we're probably going to find that difference, or at least some measure of it, in these answer choices. And so that really helps before you even start going into answer choices, to have that conception of what the right answer really looks like. And here, they disagree about whether or not it is consistent. Does that seem totally clear? It seems clearish. Clearish? Yeah. How can we make it? I totally? just, I, I, getting the right answer, you know, you want me in this moment to sort of have the right answer before I go to the answer choices. And I wouldn't have got there if you weren't coaching me, which I find frustrating. It's just frustrating. Because you expect to just you, be good. Yeah, at well, once you say it, it's like, well, yeah, that's really obvious. So. You know, and that's sort of the point of coaching, right? Is mm -hmm. you find somebody who's done it before and knows how to do it so that they can teach you how to do it. Okay, so now we're looking for an answer choice that says... They disagree about whether or not it is inconsistent. They disagree about Franco's conclusion. All right, so answer choice A says? A Nobel laureate should be taken more seriously. 
Did they disagree about what the seriousness with which Nobel laureates should be taken? Nope. All right, B. Nobel laureates should be paid more than sports celebrities. Anybody saying that. Yeah. C. Sports celebrities and Nobel laureates work equally hard for their employers. Nobody's disputing that. There's no rational basis for the salary difference between sports celebrities and Nobel laureates. So, yeah, what would what would Franklin say about that? Is Does Franklin think that there is no rational basis for the salary difference? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's inconsistent yeah. to pay them so differently. Yes. And does Tamika think that there is a rational basis for the salary difference? I don't know if she thinks it's rational. I think she pointed out a difference, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that sports stars make the, their employers lots of money. Nobel laureates don't. She points out a difference. So we can say with certainty they disagree about this. And notice that going into these answer choices and looking for them, and says, is it inconsistent? And, you know, I mean, we got a synonym here. Is there a rational difference between the two? Franklin says no. Tamika says yes. They disagree about this. Okay. And again, just to finish it off, answer choice E. The social contributions made by sports celebrities should be greater than they currently are. Anybody talking about social contributions of sports stars? No. And so having a way of knowing what the answer to the question is, which we can do with great confidence because like, these are not questions that are just mushy or in a vacuum. They respond to evidence that we have printed on the page in front of us. And so if we can take that answer into an examination of answer choices, then our work is much faster and more confident. Okay, so you want to finish up with question 17? Mm-hmm. All right, so the question says, which of the following is a principle that underlies the reasoning? This is a method of reasoning question. It's asking you essentially to describe the reasoning that you've just read. So um, we'll take a minute, we'll read the passage, and then we will describe the author's reasoning. Okay, so what is the conclusion of this argument? I guess that the confidence of a witness doesn't really matter when it comes to the account, whether or not this account is true. Well, that is the reason that we offer some advice. What's the advice? Don't allow suspect lineups in which witnesses can hear one another identifying subjects. Yep. The conclusion of the argument is don't let the witnesses hear each other. Why should you not allow those kinds of lineups? Because I w- it could affect someone. It could alter someone's um, account. I think, you know, you hear someone say it and then you think maybe, oh, maybe I'm wrong. And it's going to change your, your answer. Okay. So there's the argument is that, you know, confidence matters. But whether or not you're accurate, like it doesn't depend on whether or not you're confident doesn't really change your accuracy. But, which is weird because it starts off by saying that, you know, there's little correlation between your accuracy and your confidence. So I don't know why we care about people's confidence being shaken. But for whatever reason, we do. Certain factors can increase or undermine a witness's confidence. Therefore, we shouldn't let people hear one another. So the argument is we don't want to let people hear one another because we don't want them having their confidence influenced, right? Mm -hmm. And 
This is us answering the question. Like we've answered it now. The principle that underlies this is you, you don't want to have people's confidence affected by what other people say. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it just describes what we've read. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So we want an answer choice that says that. We do not want people's confidence affected by what other people say. Answer choice A? The confidence people have and what they remember having seen is affected by their awareness of what other people claim to have seen. Sounds like what we just said, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, and the whole argument then matches that description, right? Because this arguer believed that that confidence is affected by hearing other people, because the author believes that, she's off offering this advice to the police officers, don't let the witnesses hear each other. All right, um, I guess we'll look at other answer choices just to maybe, if anything seems attractive to us, we can get rid of it. B? Unless an eyewitness is confronted with more than one suspect at a time, the accuracy of his or her statements cannot be trusted. Sounds like it's adding a new element that might change the way we looked at that paragraph above. Yeah, and if we're adding a new element, then we're not describing what we read. We're mm -hmm. doing something different. All right, see? If several eyewitnesses all identify the same suspect in a line, lineup, it is more likely that the suspect committed the crime than if only one eyewitness identified the suspect. That's a cool fact. But it doesn't have anything to do with what we just read, all right? Mm -hmm. Police officers are more interested in the confidence witnesses have when testifying than in the accuracy of the testimony. It's the opposite. Yeah, I'm not... It would seem like it's probably the opposite, right? Mm -hmm. And yet, I'm not even sure that that's the case. Like, There's nothing in here to tell me what police officers prize, so that's not a very good description. Plus, as we talked about earlier, the passage started by saying there's not any strong correlation between what your, what your confidence level is and, and the accuracy of your statements. So, you know, I don't know what this is talking about, but it doesn't seem to have anything to do with what we just read. And E? The accuracy of an eyewitness account is doubtful if the eyewitness contradicts what other eyewitnesses claim to have seen. And that's the thing with bad answers. They are bad... Just because they're wrong. I mean, this just doesn't have anything to do with what we just read. We just read something that says you don't want their confidence affected, so don't let them hear other people. It's not about the accuracy of their statement. It's about the confidence in that accuracy. So if we're going to give an adequate description of the passage, it has to be about that confidence, not about the accuracy. Does that all make sense to you? It does. All right. So I have a question. Let's yes. say I'm bad at role questions. Uh-huh. Is there somewhere where I don't have to go through in order, but I can find role questions and then just work on role questions? Yeah. Um, in the resources section of our website, there is a question type generator. Okay. And it's got every question uh, arranged by type. So you can search for just role questions, and it'll give you a list of all the logical reasoning questions that are role questions. Okay. So my next question is, if I'm bad at all question types, is it smart to do it? where I would like do role questions and then I would do point of disagreement questions and then and just go through in chunks or is it better to go through the way we, we do it for the video or for the podcast? Whatever makes you feel better because um, I can definitely see an argument for isolating some kinds of questions and working on them specifically. That makes perfect sense. 
but at the same time on test day, you're not going to get a section of role questions. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to have to be able to develop the skill to switch quickly mm -hmm. between different tasks. And so it makes some sense to me to just take sections as they're built, you know, and, uh, and work on so that you're working on multiple tasks. Yeah. Each one, you know, in isolation, but switching between them. Okay. So, and I don't know that I don't know that I have a strong prescription in either direction there. So in this initial stage where we're only what two sections in, mm -hmm. it's completely reasonable for me to be taking this much time to digest the passage and the question, right? I mean, right. or is there okay? You're and that's what you want to be doing, taking the time. You're learning something new. It takes time to learn something new. Anything that's difficult to do takes time. And so the, and the way to do it is to give yourself the time. One thing I do feel strongly about is the horrible inefficiency of just doing questions. Like, as versus taking the time to understand what those questions mean, what they want from you, why the right answers are right. And that is time consuming, but when focused properly, it doesn't have to take up all that much time. I mean, like one or two hours a day is right for most people. And like I had somebody tell me the other day that, that some test prep company were was telling them they need to be working 30 hours a week. And that is just massively inefficient. Like why on earth would you spend that much time? Uh, just the huge majority of people don't need to spend that much time. What they need to do is prep smarter. Yeah, yeah. And so my big idea with this podcast is really this. There are companies out there because there is such a low barrier to entry. Anybody can just start calling themselves a test prep company. Anybody can just start trying to explain LSAT questions and that is not very useful. That leads to inefficient analysis-based prep. So I'd like to sweep the legs right out from under those people. Um, there is such a thing as smart prep that teaches you how to be efficient and fast and confident. And this analysis-based stuff isn't it. This, that's why I want to do this analysis for free. So that uh, you don't go paying somebody else for it. You'll never be as fast. You'll never be as confident. You'll never be as efficient if you're analyzing questions the way we are together as you will be if you learn to recognize questions as belonging to types. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And then if you want prep that will make you faster and better and smarter and better looking, that's something that you can pay for. And we can help you with that. Yeah, love it. I, I can see love that you it. do. <laughs> All right. Um, then uh, anything else to say? No. Okay. So we'll see you next week. And if you are enjoying the podcast, leave us a rating in iTunes. If you hate the podcast, leave us a five-star rating in iTunes. See you next week.